What is going on, Z-Pack? It's your boy, Z-Dog, MD, a.k.a. Dr. Zibinamanya. Welcome to Incident Report. I have a special guest, Dr. Paul Tierstein, today on this podcast, and it is also an audio podcast, so if you're listening instead of watching, listen to the sexy tones of Z-Dog, MD. Uh, Dr. Paul Tierstein is the chief of interventional cardiology at Scripps. He is also the president of the National Board of Physicians and Surgeons, uh, nbpas.org. Last time we had Paul on the show, it was a fantastic discussion about something called maintenance of certification for physicians and how onerous it has become. Paul has been a champion and an advocate in improving this process for physicians in rallying nationally, not only politically, but um, just at a grassroots level and has a massive movement of doctors, myself included, behind him in improving our process. Today, he's here kind of urgently because we want to tell you about something that's going on in terms of a report that came out from the American Board of Medical Specialties about their own maintenance of certification process and an, a rather urgent petition that we'd like you to take a look at in order to give us a voice. So many doctors and frontline healthcare providers, and by the way, if you're a nurse, if you're a pharmacist, if you're a respiratory therapist, it's still important to watch some of this, at least the first 20 minutes, to see what your physician colleagues are going through and see if you want to lend your voice to this petition to make our process of improvement better for doctors without burning us all out with measurements that don't actually measure real quality for our patients. So the idea here is that we as frontline clinicians who feel so much inertia and so much misery in terms of the kind of pressures upon us that cause us to have this moral injury of being able to just do our job for patients well is, is such a challenge, we can actually, in a grassroots way, have a voice and make real change. And that's what our guest, Paul Tierstein, has actually done. He's given us a, a, a platform and a movement and a voice to make meaningful change, not by overthrowing the system, but by actually changing it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Everybody, please welcome Dr. Paul Tierstein. Thanks for coming on the show, Paul. Well, great being here. Thanks for having me. It's been almost a year since I've been here. I know, last February. Yeah, we had a great time, and it was really powerful. A lot of people saw it last time. You know, I don't want to people heard it. I don't want to toot my own horn, but uh, we're kind of awesome that way, Paul. Yeah. And uh, actually, all joking aside, what is awesome is how a very busy clinician like you, who does a lot of work, you know, I mean, you're you're doing interventional cardiology at Scripps. You're seeing lots of patients. You're a busy guy. You also have outside interests that keep you busy. You got passionate about this because you were tired of doctors um, having to do work that did not feel meaningful, that did not prevent bad outcomes for patients or improve their care, but ended up generating a lot of revenue for an organization that's effectively a monopoly. And you've dedicated like the last four years to really raising awareness about this. So I want people who are watching or coming in and are gonna catch this first 10 minutes of this to come away quickly understanding what maintenance of certification currently is for doctors in this country, why it matters to you even if you're not a doctor, and what you've been doing to try to make it more rational, more evidence-based, and more manageable for doctors who are burning out by the droves from this moral distress of having to please uh, people that really aren't affecting patient care. Well, you actually summarized it pretty well. And we're um, out. <laughs> the um, maintenance of certification comes after you get initially certified, which 85% of doctors get initially certified. It has nothing to do with licensing. You know, we, we go to medical school, we take a few tests, the state gives us a medical license. But then if we want to be a specialist, including family practitioner, uh, you have to be take some more training and then you take a test. That's your initial certification. Only recently have the organizations that certify us decided that we should have maintenance of certification, take continued tests to make sure we're maintaining our expertise. Sounds kind of good on the surface. Right, because, I mean, doc, the medical field is expanding, the knowledge base is growing, how do we keep up? And MOC, or maintenance of certification, was a way to presumably keep us honest and, and engaged. And 
proving so- that we know what we're doing. Sounds kind of good, but what's really going goes on is first you have to pay a whole lot of money to a private organization. That's not a government organization. Um, then you have to take tests that are kind of meaningless. That the, the questions don't really relate to what you practice in. The questions are kind of obtuse, uh, long stems, you know, and then uh, that takes a lot of time. You have to study for these tests. Uh, you have to take review courses, and you end up studying the things that you don't know because you don't need them because you don't use them. Mm. Uh, it's very hard to do maintenance of certification via testing means uh, that is specific to your own specialization. So this ended up being a lot of waste of time. And when I started doing it, uh, be 2014 is when I started trying to do my own maintenance of certification. I thought enough is enough. We really need to do something about this. Uh, it's not fair that this uh, organization should ask me to uh, spend so much time and energy doing something that's not helping me. It's not making me a better doctor. It's wasting well, my time. Well, so here's the question, because uh, people would argue, well, no, it is it is keeping uh, doctors tested so that we understand their knowledge base. Otherwise, they could go out and, you know, like, you know, Dr. Death on the podcast are going to kill a bunch of people because they don't know what they're doing. Is ma- Has maintenance of certification as a testing protocol and such and such actually been shown to do that? Though? So here's really, I think, where the new information comes in. You're right on point here. Um, I've always argued that it hasn't. Uh, we've done a lot of work looking at the papers, that the scientific research to justify maintenance of certification. We've had journal clubs that are published on our website. And what do they show? That they show pretty much nothing, that there's really no difference. It's very different, di- difficult to prove that one doctor is a good doctor versus another doctor. You know, we all know this. We have doctors, you know, who a lot of people think this doctor is a great doctor, and, and a lot of people think that same doctor is a lousy doctor. You know, this is the way it's very hard to measure that kind of confidence. And it turns out when you try to measure it scientifically, it's uh, equally hard. So what happened is, the uh, in response to all of this criticism, that uh, this really onslaught of, of, of doctor, angry doctors, the American Board of Medical Specialties did a good thing. They said, let's put together an independent commission to look at maintenance of certification, which is abbreviated MOC. Mm-hmm. So there was this vision commission created last year. They've had a couple of meetings, 21 hours of testimony, and uh, and then they produced this huge report. Um, in so wait, let, let me just understand yeah. something. So they're measuring what they're measuring, what they're measuring. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, Got that's it. and they it's good because they need to know whether people are benefiting from this or not. Whether yeah. doctors, this is helping doctors or not. Why, why are they even doing that? What's their motivation to do that? What, what's the American board's to, yeah, motivation? Yeah, ABMS, the overseeing because board. Because the, there has been um, a lot of us boycotting it. MOC. Uh, there has been uh, about 20 state legislatures have bills pending. About eight of them have passed bills uh, prohibiting MOC from being used for for insurance contracts and uh, for hospital uh, privileging. Uh, there's a tidal wave of, of uh, particularly physicians who are against this. And so the, the American board decided that they better do something and better make some changes. Uh, a, lot of the board, a lot of the individual boards have made changes, uh, most of them not very good uh, yet. Hopefully they'll get better. Um, and yes, this idea of the commission was to uh, have an independent group of docs. Uh, they're appointed by the American board, uh, but most of them are not associated with the American board. Uh, look at the evidence. Uh, hear from the doctors, hear from all the different organizations, hear from the public, uh, hear from uh, uh, licensing organizations and find out what they think certification should be and whether the current maintenance of certification is working well or not. And so that's what this huge 96-page report is all about. Show me the report. So this it's is like the- I had to read this. You see, I have notes on it. It's like uh, now all, the first 35 pages are, is the real stuff. It's the uh, it's the report. The rest are, rest are is appendices. They're actually good appendices, though. It, uh, I'll tell you one thing: ABMS is really good at is measuring stuff and writing big long reports. And but, but actually, this gets to the point. So you know, for people who are listening on audio only on the podcast right now, you know, he's got like a, a multi-hundred-page document here full of notes. This idea that um, creating measurements that don't actually measure useful outcomes and affect patient care in a meaningful way, what it does, this is not a trivial thing. This is an existential crisis in medicine because as it is, everyone working the front lines in clinical medicine is under siege from every, everywhere. everywhere, everywhere, whether it's insurance companies, whether it's financial stuff, whether it's malpractice, electronic health, record. electronic health records, yeah. which we've talked about. It's click, click, click. It's death by a million clicks. 
when you add every so many years that you have to pay a butt ton of money to effectively a monopoly organization to go through hoops that have nothing to do with your specific practice to prove that you're a quote-unquote good doctor to please the measurement industrial complex, when you have to add that, that can be the final click that will put people over the edge. Right. And so this is not a trivial thing. I want to make sure people understand this, that people will think, well, we're doctors are whining about having to spend a little money and take a test. It's not about that. It's actually worse because there are doctors losing their jobs over this. Tell me about that. So... The, uh, in fact, there's a class action lawsuit that was just, just filed, uh, and four very brave doctors uh, who were initially certified, and they are brave enough to say, uh, I couldn't pass my MLC exams, and therefore I lost my job. Yeah. And so they're starting a class action. So actually, it's been filed already. So these people, and it's very detailed in the, in the, in, in the, um, the complaint, that what, what happened to them, each, all the details. These, are ter- these people were not reappointed uh, uh, to their positions, lost their job. In some cases, couldn't work for a while, had to you know, look around and find new jobs, had to move. It's a big deal. It really hurts people. And what I, what I really like about the commission report, first, I read this thing. I read it thinking, oh, they're just going to gloss over it. Nothing's going to change. Mm. And I was really surprised. I was totally wrong about that. This was a, actually a good report. Uh, people should read it. Huh. Uh, I really want doc- doctors to read this and everyone to read it. Uh, it, it has, uh, their findings are terrific. They actually document all the problems. I've got quotes. Uh, we'll get to this petition-like comment that we, we want yeah. folks to sign mm-hmm. in a moment. But I t- pulled out quotes that are where they say, hey, quote, the commission her- heard compelling testimony um, that loss of certification can lead to loss of employment. I mean, that's their findings. Mm. All right, so that's pretty harmful, right? Yeah, we're not supposed to do harm, right? I learned that somewhere. In yeah, but medical. these doctors are incompetent, Paul. They can't pass the test. Yeah, well, the test is not a measure. The, the test has so flawed, so flawed. I'll read you some more quotes. Okay, um, <clears throat> there, there are gaps in the research evidence that conclusively demonstrates diplomate participation in continuing certification leads to better patient outcome. So they're saying the research has gaps in it. They're, they're saying, well, yeah, this research, there's research, but it's really pretty, it's not robust research, mm-hmm. and it isn't. And we knew that from our last yeah. conversation. Yeah. Um, they say, <clears throat> diplomates cited the content of the examination was not relevant, was not a reflection of the application of knowledge in the clinical environment, and was not current with advances in medicine. Now, this, is, this is their own, this is their own, own report. report saying, hey, these tests are lousy. Right. Okay, and, and they're hurting people. Right. Okay, but then, so this report does a great job saying that. That's the findings. Then they have recommendations. The recommendations, not so good. The recommendations are really weak. They they say we should study more. We should collaborate more. We should have programs. We should have integration. I'm, I'm, I'm reading it. I, I don't get it. It sounds I, okay. like the wellness program. Right? Well, you should meditate and take lavender essential oils. Pretty much. Right. These, and, and, they, and then it even, at one point it says um, the, we should do something over the next five years. Okay, so here they document that they're harming people. Right. All right? And they document the reasons why. How could you not recommend to immediately have a moratorium on all the harmful uh, aspects of MOC that you document? Yeah. They define the harmful aspects. They say it's heart hurting pay- doctors. How could you not just say, okay, let's stop it until we fix it? All right? And, and I, you know, there's a lot of ways to fix it. That we can talk about that. Um, it, you know, some of it is unfixable, but but there are things that can be done. But we, if we don't have a good approach, don't make doctors do something that's a waste of time. Okay, so and it's th- hurting them. And th- so this is where I think there's the urgency in this. Correct. And this is why you know, you 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 called me up this week and you're like, I'm going to be in Vegas. I would love. No, to no, some- I came here for you. Just see so you that? Know. See that? I okay. was making excuses for you being in Vegas, but you actually came to be here. <laughs> and and the reason is is that there's an urgency to this because. Although the report is excellent, like you say, and it actually documents all the deficiencies of this maintenance of certification approach, the action items are very deficient. I mean, five years and talking more about it when we're in crisis now. Correct. Now, they have, ABMS has arbitrarily said, well, by January 15th, right, we need comments comments from not just physicians but from the public about what they think about this report now tell me more about that so they they're requesting for public comments and there's a website you can go on to provide public comments i think it's terrific we'll put the link there yeah so what we did i so i figured okay i gotta write a public i gotta better write my comments so i started writing it and i realized well why don't i write one that others can join if they agree with 
So I wrote a fairly carefully written, and my friends and colleagues helped me, uh, referenced comment. But my, my comment actually has references, little numbers, mm-hmm. with referencing the, the vision report. What so it's, I, Well, I, I can be it. nerdy when needed. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then we, we've put uh, this online to where all you have to do is go to nbpas.org. That's nbpas.org. Uh, to our website, the very top of the homepage says if you want to read and if you agree, sign a petition-like public comment, click here. And you click, you write your name, and you say if you agree. We'd like to know if you're a doctor. We ask you to check that box. If you give us your your email, that'll be nice. But the whole thing's going to take you 30 seconds, although I would like you to read the report. Yeah. If, at least if you read what you're signing, you'll read the quotes from the report because I have them all in there. Right. Um, so um, it's a way to get, get feedback because I think that, that this can really be helpful. This Vision Commission report can be helpful if used correctly. Right. And they've really got to do something about it. it they're, they're, they're documented there's a problem, an urgent problem. Let's fix it. And, then, and this is what lit a fire under me because, you know, the, the last time we talked, we were talking a lot about, you know, well, what are alternatives to ABIM and ABMS and the, the board, the MOC process. And, you know, you, you said, you know, one of the ways we can sort of fight this um, – this bureaucratic intrusion that doesn't help patients is by creating an alternative pathway. Right. And we had different solutions, which we can talk about, but right this minute, it, 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 what matters to, to hundreds of thousands of doctors is that their voice and the voices of their colleagues, so nurses and pharmacists and everybody who works with them, are heard regarding this particular report, which is pretty accurate in explaining what the deficiencies are. So the way to do that is go First, read the report if you can. Look at the summary. We'll give you the links, and then check out the petition. If you agree with the points in the petition, what 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 are you basically? What are what in your petition are you saying that that people are getting behind? All right. So, uh, by the way, you can write. Give your. We give you the link also to if you want to write your own uh, comment. Write so, your own comment. Right. Which yeah, is, yeah, exactly. And if you want to cut and paste some of our comments into your comment, that's fine. So we really recommend. Uh, we our, our comment has uh, four aspects. One, an immediate end to the requiring secure pass-fail exams, all right? Because that is really, and, and the report makes it really clear that, that that is not a good way to do continuing certification. So you mean like the every 10-year exam that you sit? Or now it's an for, for ABIM, that's internal medicine, which is uh, one quarter of all doctors. And uh, you're a part of that. that. Yes, sir. That's if you're a GI, if you're a cardiologist, family practice, internal medicine. Yeah, Yeah, uh, that's ABIM. They, have, they, they give you an alternative called a knowledge check-in. The knowledge check-in is an every two-year exam. But... <laughs> It is, it, and it's highly criticized in this, in this report. And if you listen, to, if you talk to any, do you know anybody who's taken it? Uh, the the MLC the, the, the knowledge new one? knowledge check-in. I certainly haven't taken it yet. So uh, if you talk to people taking it, besides the technical problems they have with the whirly bird, because you take it in your office, it right. sounds good, right? Except right. that, get this, there's a, there's a video camera on you. Okay, and um, you have to have the video camera on you, and then you have to, they tell you to move it around to make sure no one's in your office with you. you it's bizarre, and, and, and then you're, you can use UpToDate as the only resource. You can't Google things to answer questions the way I would do it in practice, right? Are they getting paid by UpToDate? Like, well, <laughs> they're getting a lot of, UpToDate certainly gets, you know, they must get some marketing from this, if nothing else. I don't know what, right, they, right. I don't, they, who knows? I love UpToDate, don't uh, get me wrong. You, yeah, but it yeah. turns out when you're taking the test, it's not so easy to use up to date on it. It just it's just technically hard to find. It's a navigation that's hard. The test is three and a half hours, and apparently they're giving you more time because there's so many technical difficulties. Mm. But would you rather do a every test every ten years, or or, or a three and a half hour test every two years? I mean, it's the same thing. Every two, two years. years. Yes. Okay. Let me just get freaking angry. <laughs> For a second, because as it is, we're nickeled and dimed and, and, and tortured. If you want to let us take care of patients, do things that actually help us do that. Help us actually understand the data of our fellow physicians and how they're practicing Thank you. so we can compare You just ourselves. said it well. So you, you leading right into what's good about this report, they I make a distinction between a formative assessment and a summative assessment. Now, yeah. I know you know what that means, right? Uh, <laughs> right? So this is funny. Educators have like lingo, just like doctors for every, you know, everything. Teach me. So I had, I had to go to the appendix, of course, which is where you find the, <laughs> the glossary. And if you look up formative, I guess it means for me. 
it comes from the stem of inform, I guess. The idea is learning. The assessment mm. should be a learning experience, not a punitive experience. So if, if they can actually come up with a learning experience with things that I want to learn about because I need to learn or things that I need to learn about from my practice, that sounds good, right? Mm-hmm. And what they say is it shouldn't be a summative assessment. But a summative assessment is you have to read it again. That's basically a pass-fail exam. It's either, okay, you're in or you're out. Right. And that's what we don't need at that level of education once we've already been certified and we're out in practice. Right. We don't need a summative. And the report says that very clear. The ABM knowledge check-ins are summative. Yeah. And they're spelled out in here. They are, uh, the, this Vision Commission's report is very, very critical of them. Mm. So I say in... Uh, the, the comment that I'm hoping, well, already have 10,000, over 10,000 10, people, people have already right. joined it, but I want more. Yeah. Okay, because I think more agree with it, but you just have to get it out. Yeah. Um, which is why you have to pass it around to your colleagues and your medical staffs. You got to, there's a, there's a link there. Just put it in your email and send it to everybody. I'm going to put it all over the place. So one is an end to these high stakes, secure, pass fail exams. Second, this is a really complicated issue. An immediate end to requiring the quality initiative, uh, practice improvement stuff. Have you done any of that? (laughs) So, yes, I did one of those modules. It was like poking something in my freaking eye. It was a made-up exercise that you have to go and do a quality improvement. Listen, actually go and improve quality. Work with teams. Do your thing. Why should you have to do some busy work that actually it's a quality measure that doesn't measure quality, which we've been yelling about on this show from the beginning. This is the origin and the and the sustenance of the ma- the measurement industrial complex. These people are paid to torture us for no evidence that it actually does anything for patient care. And you know what? It's an it's an assault. And this is where I get really pissed off because this is an assault on me as a sovereign practitioner. Yes, I want to connect to best practices. Yes, I want to actually even compare myself to how other clinicians are doing. Yes, I want to reduce variation of care and find outliers and and make sure that we're practicing evidence-based medicine. This doesn't do that. This is a torture. It's the kind of work your school teacher used to give you and you would go home oppositional defiant and want to leave school. Well, you, Maybe it was just me. No, you have said it more passionately than I could have ever done. I'm, I'm really glad you've I had this experience. I might have injured myself. No, uh, no the, what, what, what you, see, the reason you're going to like this report is this report says things like this. It is acknowledged. They don't say it quite the way you say it. I mean, you say it better. But it I would is, have dropped F-bombs, but yeah. I'm being nice to Paul. <laughs> it is acknowledged that measuring practice improvement can be challenging. Okay, so that's good. That's a start. Then it says, the commission appreciated, you're going to feel heard here, the, com- appreciated com- the commission appreciated the practical and significant, significant difficulty placed on diplomates for meeting practice improvement requirements. And then get this, diplomates did not find value in checkbox activities or activities not relevant to practice. Diplomates complained that requiring multiple PDSA, do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. I'm glad. That, you ask any of my fellows, they all know what that is. That's plan, do, study, act. It's a cycle. It's an educator's way of putting into words what is sort of common sense. It's what you were asked to do. It's actually the title of it is a PDSA. Um, but requiring multiple PDSA, PDSA cycles in quality improvement activities or requiring improvement in an activity in order for the activity to count in the certification program was onerous and artificial. So they said it right here, what you just said. They said it a little more, you know, professionally. (laughs) But they say it. So... I'm saying, great. Just we do agree. something about it. Okay? <laughs> now, do something. <laughs> yeah. So the point of signing this petition is to make your voice heard so they actually are more likely to do something. Correct. Do you think they will if they hear a lot of voice? I, you know, I somehow got this epiphany two weeks ago when I wrote this that, you know, maybe this is the way to do it. I mean, it's their own commission. Yeah. We're just, and they're, they're going to get there anywhere, I can tell. This, they're going to get there. Yeah. But just stop it now. Let's get some action. Right? Yeah. That's what I'm really asking for. Yeah, and, I, and, and I'm with you 100%. So there's two, there's two more things. Uh, so uh, one is a reduction in fees. So mm. there's a lot of economic discussion here because these boards are not for profit, but they make a ton of money. The, your board and my board, the American Board of Internal Medicine, it's $65 million a year. And this is like a toll booth. Right? I mean, you charge a couple hundred dollars per doctor and you got 200,000 doctors per year. That's a lot of money. Now, it is a not for profit, but 
I've learned, most doctors don't know this, but not-for-profit doesn't mean mm-hmm, not for money. Mm-hmm. It means right? for money, but we put it in something squirrely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of high-paid administrators, and uh, it's, uh, so, and, and that comes up in the report. Uh, there are quotes, which I don't, I can read you, but I don't think I have to bother. There's from the report saying, doctors don't really trust where the money is going. It's their hard-earned money. You know, they want some transparency. So in this um, petition-like comment, we've written, we'd like a reduction in fees charged for MOC, preferably to under $100 a year, irrespective of the number of certifications maintained. So, you know, some people think that's too high. You're never going to get everyone to agree uh, about it. It's going to cost something, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have to cost much. And you don't really need to do much. You don't have to pay this board, that board. I mean, you know, if I'm an interventional cardiologist, I should do my certification in what I'm practicing in. And then I don't mind paying something, but I shouldn't have to dole out. Like right now, it's about $450 a year because I got three certifications. Right, 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 right. So so we're asking for reduction of fees. Also, we're asking, I'm taking the opportunity to say, this was not in the division report, but I think they need an independent, this is sort of a monopoly. And you know, the Department of Justice gave this opinion letter recently. I heard about this. Tell me yeah. about this. Yeah. Well, it's an opinion letter that essentially states that the American Board of Medical Specialties is has mop, a mo- monopolistic aspects, and they are. I mean, there's really no one to compete with them. Your hospital is not going to accept the National Board of, uh, you know, we have, well, I shouldn't say that, we have 120 hospitals have accepted the National Board, NBPAS. Of which I am are, a diplomat as well. Yes. But you're going back to Stanford, I understand, right? I am. I bet Stanford's not on the list yet. You're gonna, that's your job, okay? Get them. It's not so easy. You have to go to the MEC. You have to get them to approve it. Uh, and uh, insurance companies are very difficult to deal with if you're not certified by the American Board. Uh, so it is a bit of a monopoly. Yeah. And um, what the Department of Justice said in their letter is monopolies are bad. Uh, it's harming doctors. It's harming patients uh, because fees go up. Um, you can, competition turns out to be key to everything. Yeah. As and we transparency. All know, and transparency. So we're yeah. asking for an, an independent – I'm asking you for an independent or we're asking for an independent uh, organization to have oversight over the finances. Yeah. All right. I mean, how much is this doctor going to get paid to run it? Well, what's reasonable? I mean, they should get paid a lot, but it should be there should be some control over it. Right. Do you know? And this is not part of MOC, but do you know what my fellows have just told me? They just got finished taking their interventional cardiology boards. What do you think they had to pay? These are guys making eighty, seventy thousand dollars a year. Uh, I mean, 000. I'm going to suspect it's a couple grand. Two thousand nine hundred and fifty. That's absurd. Almost three thousand dollars. These are forgetting fellows. review courses. These are my fellows. They don't make any money yet. I mean, they're, they're, and, and that's the initial fee. I mean, and that's just, I mean, I, I call that in, um, if, you, if you read the uh, petition, uh, that's basic unprofessional. I mean, it's, professionalism is ethics. That's unethical yeah. to charge that much. So yeah. there has to be somebody saying, okay, let's cut down all the costs. I mean, you know, I know, yeah, yeah an organization that's spending $60 million a year, that's just ABIM. I mean, mm. all the other boards, can, all together, I think it's something like $200 million. Let's mm. cut the costs down. Let's get a whole handle on this. And, you know, be frugal, just like we're trying to cut costs in everything in medicine, right? How much time do we spend trying to bring down? I just finished negotiating stent prices. Um, you know, that we spend a lot of. It's not fun. Every year we try to cut the costs. So let's right. cut the costs of certification. Well, then think about all that money, that $200 million across the boards. Think about it being applied to actual measurement processes and artificial intelligence that actually improve real outcomes. Right. And I think they can do a better job. The, these boards, if they if they if they have they have to be willing to say, gee, we, we were wrong. We, we're going to start from scratch again. But if now if you don't if you don't do the MOC and these sort of busy work activities, what do you do? So here's the oh so what what what, what we're recommending is until you've got it figured out, go back to CME and life professionalism, which is having a good license and st- good standing, not being kicked off your medical staff, not you know, being in jail for, for fraud. Um, but, but it's necessary, main... but not sufficient, <laughs> like not being in jail for fraud. It's, it's, it's one of those things that it's required, but not entirely <laughs> sufficient to so, be an awesome doc. Right. Yeah. But, but we, the, the National Board, NBPS, we rely on accredited CMA, and we believe in that. We love that. Um, so that's what we're saying. Go back to that. Until you've got it straightened out as, as measured by either robust 
evidence, which is almost impossible to have, or at least a general consensus. Mm. So let me give you an example. And what I'm going to say right now is controversial because there are the, you're never going to get everyone to agree on everything. And there are I, I get hundreds of you wouldn't believe the emails I get every day. Probably a hundred emails on this topic, probably more. And there are a lot of doctors that just think it should be done away with. MOC, you get your certification like the grandfathers have. By the way, the grandfathers don't have to do any of this. Which is, by the way, ridiculous. Uh, so, because what are the grandfathers? They're mostly men. They're mostly white men. So in a way, this is like a racist, it's, sexist it, it, act. But where's the outcry? Where's the call-out culture calling this out? It's nowhere. It's, it, that's, it's really a big problem that the, that these folks have is that why, why if it's so important, MOC, why don't the grandfathers have to do it? Right. You know. Um, uh, because we're the grandfathers, <laughs> damn it. Tierstein. <laughs> You shut your mouth, Tierstein. <laughs> Spoken just like a grandfather. Uh, so uh, I've forgotten entirely where we were. Oh, so we, okay. were, we were, what, what should we do? So, so there may be some better ways of doing this. So for example, you're going to see a paper, I think it's in New England Journal next week, uh, looking at the MOCA Minute. So the MOCA Minute is anesthesiology. They had the worst maintenance of certification. Anesthesia. They used to do. Theirs was the worst. And they uh, they had to do simulate. They had to get on airplanes, go to a different city to do a simulation. The doctors were so furious. Now they get this thing, and it's not perfect, mm. b- believe me, but it's kind of kind of cool in a way. You get this, uh, e- you get emailed questions. And the number of questions is, I think it's 30 every quarter. Mm. Uh, so 120 a year. Uh, the part I don't like is you get a minute to answer the question. Um, the mocha minute. Yeah. yeah. And then um, it tells you if what if you got it. And you also have to tell it how comfortable you are with your answer. Do you, do you think you got it? or do you, So it's, the idea is to identify knowledge gaps. I see. Okay. Um, the Then the it gives, if you got it wrong, I guess I haven't done it. I'm not an anesthesiologist, but you... Uh, you get it, you get feedback immediately of what the right answer was, why your answer was wrong, other resources. So you get taught. That's the idea. Yeah. So now where this can go wrong, I mean it can go wrong is if the test questions that they give you don't relate to your practice. So I don't know yet if they've got that figured out. Mm. But the big thing is how is it graded? So you'll love this. I've asked, I've had like five anesthesiologists so far what they think of it. Uh, three thought it was good mm. two one thought it was eh, okay one thought it was just a moneymaker thing so you're not going to get everyone to agree but then i said so how how do they grade it we don't know but we always pass um so i think that's how it should be though yeah, i mean yeah, if it's, yeah. it's not it's supposed to be learning not right, punitive right, not so if if i mean they're gonna they're gonna have to come up with some way to decide that a doctor is not worthy i i get that yeah i'm not i don't know how that's gonna happen but as long as they're not uh, decertifying doctors right. because you know I suppose if they if they give you the same question five times and you can't get it right okay you know maybe that's that's going to be There's the a kind of metric deficit yeah the other one that and by the way uh, in the New England in this paper that's going to come out next week I believe there's a survey and the survey was done by the American Board of Anesthesiology so it's not an independent survey but they surveyed a lot of their doctors and said you know what do you think of this new thing and 82 percent of them said they thought it was helpful mm. so. I'd like to see an independent survey, but I'm going to assume it's a, on a survey. And if, because I don't think you're going to get robust evidence for um, to prove that this doctor is doing a, a, a good job versus this doctor's not. I think it's very hard to to actually measure that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. objectively. It, it's but, that's been the big challenge. Yeah, yeah. But if you can get 80 percent of the of your doctors to say this is okay, that's a lot different than remember right? Yeah, well, yeah, what was 12%, the survey result? Twelve percent. Twelve percent of doctors in their own survey said that this was useful. Well, was you was useful? Yes. Yeah. Um, and and now with the new uh, Mocha Minute, when yeah. they surveyed their doctors, eighty-two percent, I think it was, said that there was useful. So yeah. that's a, that's they a, improved. It. That's certainly going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The other one that looks promising, and I actually I haven't seen this one yet, but I th- I kind of like the idea. It's OBGYN. So what they do is they give you, I believe it's thirty articles. Mm. So they come up with what they think are key articles in the field. And apparently what I like about this is you can choose articles you want to read. Yeah. Now I spend a lot of time reading articles. I mean, I have to, I, that's the only way I can stay up, right? I've got to, I don't Do you read any journals? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to. Uh, <laughs> right. Sometimes we, for shows I'll read stuff like the paper. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, I do. Well, we get, I get, in fact, it's, um, it's almost too much. I get six different journals every Jeez, week. You're I'm such getting, a well, gunner, Paul. No, I have to do this, right? Uh-huh. Otherwise, uh, you know, I got to read them, and I, you know, I, I, and I, and I do, and I, I think it's important. Uh, so, I, for me, if I was going to get thirty journal articles or pick out thirty of, hopefully, they give me fifty or sixty or I don't know, hundred, I could pick out thirty that I would want to read anyway. Right. And then you read them, and then you have to answer four questions at the end. That's great. What's wrong with that? And then it also it gives you like if you got the questions wrong, it gives you more info, and it's not one of these things that's pass fail. Right. I, again, again, I don't know how it's graded, but when I ask the OB guys, they say, I don't know, we just pass them. It's, you know, it's not really you're not really going to get them wrong. I mean, it's you're just answering that's questions. How, just look at the paper. Be. You go through it, you do it, you right. learn something. So that's yeah. being helpful. Now, yeah. both organizations, the American Board of Anesthesiology and the OBGON Board, which is A B what O G G. It's there's so much alphabet soup A in this blah, business. Blah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they um, they also have practice improvement in there. Which so they're not they don't have it figured they out yet. Fixed it yet yeah yeah but it's a start I'm saying there are ways of solving this mm. that um, are uh, formative to use their terms As instead of to summative summit. yes yeah, exactly. see I've been I've, lear- I've been learned learn. here <laughs> you can test me now board I will pass I got maintenance of pimpiness. Uh, so this 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 is a very easy thing for people to do. It'll take you under sixty seconds. Um, so we want you to go to nbpas.org, nbpas.org. Very at the top, it says click here to sign this, and it'll take you to a, a explanation with references. The whole thing will take sixty seconds, and you click again if you want to go to the, the the petition website. If you want to do your own comments, you can click there. Uh, we're just trying to get responses and get people awakened to this. NBPAS.org is yes. where you can go, and you'll find a link for that. And I'll put in direct links in the show notes and also in the web uh, post that we and, have. And as an alternative, you know, we're doing great. We have over 7,000 diplomates now. So so this is so, the National Board of Physicians and Surgeons, of which you are the president, and you yeah. helped found, if yeah. you did found. Yeah, in my kitchen. And in your kitchen. <laughs> it's like, you know, Wozniak made the Apple computer in his garage. You made an alternate credentialing association in your kitchen. It's a big kitchen. And I, listen, I, so I went through this process after our show last uh, time. Yeah. And this, it was really, really interesting because I thought, well, let's see how easy or hard this is going to be and whether this is Mickey Mouse or whether it's legit. And this is what happened. They asked me for a shice ton of CME. Right. And they wanted to make sure that my all my licenses were active and I hadn't had any, you know, Michael Jackson's doctor giving him <laughs> propofol unlicensed anesthesia. And I submitted it all. And I was like, hands are done. Let me get my certificate. I got an email back. Oh, good. This is obvious. Good and feedback. it said, Dr. Demania, as you might imagine, we are very careful about making sure that you are credentialed and appropriately uh, CME'd up to be a, a diplomate of the American National wow. Board of Physicians and Surgeons. There was a um, concern we had with your CME. The dates on one of these overlapped two years, and we need very specific granular data to show that you did this within the prescribed time frame, or else you may not have done enough CME. And I tell you, I've never had, because I use up to date for a lot yeah. of CME and it gives these ranges. They were very specific. So I had to go into UpToDate, figure out how to get it granular. It's a difficult process to do. Got it, sent it back, waited, got the result. Wow, what a great feedback. So that's that's great. Um, two things to say about that. One is what a great office staff we have. They're at great. MVP. These guys, this is, this, is, this is Lauren and Kerry. Um, these are they're doing a great, great, great job. Brittany, uh, it's run by Katie, uh, and and just phenomenal people. So they're really doing their job, which is great. However, the only the uh, the only issue that doctors have is getting that CMA certificate mm. to us. Yeah. Um, some of them don't know how to do PDFs, and right. so we give them some advice. You can take a picture of your CMA and send it. Um, and we want all we want is fifty hours over two years, so you're getting that already. But yeah, you, uh, you know, you at least you have to attest to it to your state. But maybe you don't have to send it in. We have we have to see the certificates. Yeah. But I've talked to the AACME uh, president. Yeah. That's the agency that accredits CME. Mm-hmm. And I say this is the modern era. Why do we have to have these certificates? Why can't you have the certificates? You hold the certificates, mm. and when I need to find out if uh, if Z Dog 
has done his 50 hours, all I have to do is query you. Yeah. And I'll pay you 10 bucks for that right. or something. You it's can make it. money. Yeah. I know you're not for profit, but you can, this is an opportunity for you guys because it'll make our headaches less and your headaches would be gone. Right. And how long did it take you to do uh, to apply for the MBPAS? I mean, how oh, long was like that? literally a, a, an, a less than an hour. I mean, I, I pulled the certificates from Evernote where I have them right. and I, I went through the application and I made sure so I got So if everything. you have the certificates with you, yeah. like if, you have, if your secretary has them, yeah. if you have them with you, it shouldn't take you more than 15 minutes right. to fill out the form. Right. It's just, it's at, and it costs... Uh, I think we're at $169 for two years. It was and then, a bargain. And then the yeah. renewal is $149 for two years. So, right, right. And, and that just and, pays the overhead. Yeah. yeah. We're actually uh, breaking even. If we didn't do politics, Yeah. okay, if I didn't have to go to Washington and it's testify to the Department of Justice, um, then we would be making too much money, so we would cut the fees back. Right. Because uh, we don't really need to make money. The other thing I should say, though, is none of us are getting paid. So I don't get paid. And we don't have a um, – the staff gets paid. But we don't – the physician board members – and I don't know if you looked at the board. The board is pretty amazing. I mean, it's very academic board. I saw it, yeah. Um, we're not getting paid. So if we were to get – if you were to pay people, then we'd have to um, probably keep them. We wouldn't have to charge more. Um, but if we got rid of the politics, we, we could um, probably pay the directors a little bit or something. And then uh, the price could go down a little bit is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the only yeah. – this yeah. is how it should be. It's right. by, by physicians, for physicians, uh, peers working together try to, to, be try to make sure. Be we're helpful. also nice. If you call or if you send us an email, you know, we respond. We, we don't – act like we're arrogant. I don't know if you've ever dealt with the American boards, but they can behave very arrogantly as though, you know, you're just a puny doctor and, you know, we'll maybe give you this certification, uh, you know, but, but we're not going to do it because you didn't do this, that. We're, we're very polite. I write a lot of polite no notes to, to doctors yeah. saying, hey, I wish I could certify you. But you know what? We're being held to really rigorous standards. Yeah. And, you know, this certification, this CME you got, it's not accredited. Yeah. You know, and you can't tell me that making rounds with your fellows is is is, is CME. That's hey, just not making, CME. Making music videos, Paul Tierstein, <laughs> is a CME accredited activity as far as I'm concerned. It's preparation. Actually, I should get two hours for every hour. You'd have to get it accredited. So there's some rules and regulations yes. about that. You could actually try to get it accredited. I, so we are accredited for CME uh, through our partner, Physician Weekly. And in fact... So you know uh, all about it, yeah. Yeah, and so, so the idea is, again, um, get your CME where you are are most connected in terms of the capacity to learn. Yes. Right? Who wouldn't, why, why would you do anything else? Right. I mean, you want to get, get CME, you, doctors like to learn. Doctors are not lazy. That, that's one thing yeah, I can tell you. It's really hard to yeah, be a doctor. Pretty diligent, yeah. Um, and so, uh, and doctors like to learn. We want to do, we're here to help patients. We want to do better. Um, so get one, if we're going to do it, if we have to do MLC, and I don't think um, some of the emails I get say, you're crazy. We shouldn't have anything to do with CME, with, with MLC. That should just stop uh, once you get the initial certification. I don't think we're going to get that. I think it's going to be continue. We're going to have to do some kind of continuing certification. But why not make it worthwhile? Yeah. Why not make it something you can learn from Yeah, uh, and help you helpful? You know what would be cool is if we can start doing shows that actually uh, help contribute to MLC, not in the click box way. But, uh, so I've been thinking about this, and maybe mm. you and I should knock our heads together. One thing I've done... Uh, which is very hard to get traction on, uh, is to, uh, with, with uh, my buddy, my technical buddy, Sean, I started curbside.org. Ah, curbside.org. Yes, and ah. it's the idea is physician asks a question, Related to a, usually it's a you know it's something you can't look up in a book you know I got a patient who's got a bleeding problem I've got to give him a, a, a blood thinner you know what what's the best what's the best way to handle this um, something you know it's basically ask a colleague get a curbside consult right all right so it's again very easy very user friendly you you write the question and then it asks the community to answer it yeah um, and uh, and often discussions occur. And then the answers get voted up or down yeah, yeah, so yeah. that the good you could see what a good answer is. It's like Quora. And yeah. we're giving CME for that. And we're very, we're trying to keep, we don't, want to, we don't want to abuse it. So it's like, I think, I think it's 15 minutes of CME per question you engage in. Right. And no more than 10 hours a year is, I think, we're, we're, we're putting some limitations that on it. Because we don't, yeah. We're trying to make sure it doesn't get abused. But again, we're trying to do, just what you said, why don't we think of fun ways we can help doctors learn uh, that aren't outside, that are not the usual um, go to a course. Um, you know, not that the courses are bad. I give a course. I love it. Yeah. But <laughs> but there's other ways of doing it that might be interesting right. and, and helpful. And this idea of asking a colleague, 
curbside.org. I mean, I find that really helpful. You can ask, a, you know, these are real That's questions. That's how we actually do it in the real world, man. When I was in my multi-specialty group back at Stanford, the greatest thing was I walk over to my the equivalent of Paul, yeah. uh, who might have been Asian, and uh, Asian Paul. I say, Asian Paul, I'm curious about, you know, the you efficacy of this as left anterior descending scent in this patient with diabetes, or should they go for bypass? Exactly. And then Asian I'd Paul keep... would explain it to me. <laughs> That is so funny. I don't even know what to do with that, but I'll just stick to that. Um, we like to we, we we bristle when people make us do busy work that doesn't yeah. help us. We, we want to feel meaning, right? Like you know, I think that's I think the point. Wendy Dean uh, and and Dr. Talbot. I'm forgetting uh, Dr. Talbot's first name. They wrote an article in STAT a little while ago about how it's not burnout. It's very similar to what military veterans suffer. It is a kind of a moral injury. So, in other words. When you're asked to serve multiple masters that don't actually improve patient care or are that are, are at, at contradiction to your own moral compass, then it creates a kind of distress. And, and military uh, people who go and have to go in war and see you know, children murdered and things like that, they suffer a deep injury. And it's not a physical injury, it's a moral injury. Right. Physicians, frontline healthcare workers, nurses, every single day are suffering moral injury at the hands of faceless bureaucrats and system problems that force us to behave in a way that we know is not good for our loved ones, our patients, our family, our sanity. Yeah, and it's hard also to get that uh, across because it looks like on paper, it looks like maybe what they're doing is okay, but you know it's not okay. That's a thing. Yeah. It looks yeah. good on paper. Yeah. And, and this is how the whole measurement thing is happening. You know, people like Don Berwick, who are part of you know, Institute for Healthcare Improvement mm -hmm. and this big thing about measuring, you know, better improving safety, he himself is now saying, listen, we need to cut measurements by 75% because these things don't actually measure real quality. Well, that's a great, that's, that's, I, I, so agree with that, um, that it's a, the, it becomes a waste of time. Everyone thinks you have to measure everything, but actually the measurements are not valuable. They're not valid measurements. Right. So it's a waste of time. I mean, if you're going to measure something, you know, measure it, have a valid study. Now, now, one thing I will say is I'm very sympathetic to this idea that we get a lot of stuff wrong and we have a long way to go in improving patient safety. And anytime you work in the hospital, you just see the Byzantine ways that things can go wrong. And it's amazing. The, it's amazing. Because they'd be dealing with people, and it's just really hard. People, they, they make mistakes, they get things wrong, It's and you try, you try to have systems. I mean, usually it's a form. Yeah. yeah, every every problem every every problem we the have in the hospital, cause. we have to have another form, right. uh, and it gets added. And it's, and I'm not so sure that really makes really really solves the problem either. It's just it's just it's it's very hard to when you're working with human beings, for everything to go smoothly all the time, which is why you have to be alert. Do you think Do you think the answer should be more mechanization and more AI, or is the answer better humans and better processes, or is it some mix? Well, it's going to be a mix. Uh, I don't know if we can get better humans for a while. I mean, there are a lot of things I complain about humans. Um, but, um, I think we can do a lot of improvements. Yeah. Um, we are definitely the rate-limiting step in many reactions. Yeah, but um, um, I, 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 I don't have I, – I have not been thoughtful enough about how to solve, you know, globally solve the problems. AI would be great if you can have a computer do it. But the computers tend to do to, – to, create more busy work also right, on the do. EHR. Yeah. I mean, on the electronic health record, you check this box and it tells you you can't give this drug because of something that's got wrong and has to do with the programming, but so now you have to fix the programming and, you know. I'm, you know, one thing that was brought to my attention recently by a pediatrician who runs a practice back east, he mm -hmm. messaged me and said, what are your thoughts on peer review, mm -hmm. on really extensive peer review? So what he does in his multi-specialty group is sits down with doctors, goes through charts, and they're still on paper. Mm -hmm. So they can just sit there and go, okay, now let's go through this. And, okay, what did you do here? What did you do there? And let's really have an honest 360-degree feedback on it. Have you guys done any of that stuff? Yeah, so our peer review is done in several formats. Um, one is, you know, M and M conferencing, That's which an we one. we yeah. really like to do. Um, the the we that we do a lot of that. Uh, although it's it's a, it's done in a group and it's all confidential. Um, it's not. I think what you're describing is more of a one-on-one -on -one thing, right? Where you can probably get a little bit more granular a little more and a little granular, bit more yeah. nasty yeah. about it, then or, we, or constructive if you want to use it. If you're yeah. nasty. <laughs> uh, the other thing that uh, goes on in our institution is there's a, a committee that meets. 
Uh, and that committee, uh, anytime there's a bad event, looks at it, looks, looks at it and uh, someone reviews it. And those are variable. I mean, we sometimes it's a good review and sometimes it's, uh, yeah, the patient died. The patient was in heart failure, 95 years old, and we tried to save him and it didn't work. Um, uh, you know, so sorry. I mean, you, you, sometimes it's, there, you feel like you're getting accused of something and there's really nothing you could have done. You explain that to the committee and it kind of usually goes away. But I, I, I think both combination, we think those two things work pretty well mm. together. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, I think having supportive physicians in your environment who keep an eye on you, having fellows, mm. I think my fellows are really great pre-review. They look at me sometimes and they say, I don't think we should do this. Um, and I think that's that's very helpful to me to I, have I, I, to have get to get someone looking at me all the time and I'm, giving me feedback. I'm Our staff. I'm a hundred percent with you on this. The and nurses fa- give us give us feedback all the time. Nurses are tremendous saviors of yeah. us. Uh, fellows are saviors. Residents are saviors. And you know we we like to complain about them and all of that. But the truth is like. You know, when, when I'm practicing with an academic team, I'm learning the whole time. Yeah. And I'm being oh, kept yeah. on my toes the whole time. And this is why people ask, well, you know, is, is care, when I go to a, a teaching hospital, I don't want to have residents. I'm going to try to tell them not to have the residents see me. It's like, you're making a huge mistake. The academic, the teaching hospitals are where I think the best care is given in the country. I, and I'm biased, but I really think it's true. I couldn't agree more. I think that there's, it's it's a terrific environment. Not everyone can be in it. So, I mean, and there's a lot of non-teaching hospital environments that are phenomenal. That are great, yeah. But but I think, uh, um, I mean, I, I, was, I, was, I was offered... Someone wanted me to start a heart hospital about 20 years ago in San Diego. Oh, and, very lucrative. And I kind of made a lot of money. Yeah. And I decided that I looked at it and I said, the only reason to do this would be to make money. And that's not what I kind of went into this for. So that's, and the main problem was to build a teaching program from the ground up would been probably impossible or taken yeah. my lifetime. And I couldn't imagine working without residents and fellows. That wasn't, that wasn't the way I like to do it. I mean, so uh, I value teaching programs. Yeah, I do too. And it's not for everybody. And I think some people do very well. And and there were days when, you know, when they started pulling our house staff away, that's when I started burning out more because I realized that 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 camaraderie, that sense of Of uh, connection, plus, you know, everybody's personality is different, right? And we kind of gravitate into specialties and niches within specialties that are good for our personalities. Like you are high energy multitasking machine of energy. Like talking to you uh, offline is exhausting because you're so high energy, but it doesn't exhaust me because I'm an extrovert, but I can imagine people would just be like, my gosh, this guy does so much. And whereas, you know, for me being an extrovert, liking to have the interaction in real time, having a team that rotated. So it was always somebody new to hear my same stupid jokes was <laughs> exactly was crucial, right? I can't believe you said that. I mean, that's what I love about the fellows. Like I, I, I can tell my jokes again. <laughs> It's the same thing. It's like I'm like, you know, audience. the thing is, and they look at you like you're a genius because they're hearing it for the first or, time. Or what I really like to do is when I, I do, we're doing technical things, putting stents and heart valves in, and and uh, I love some of the stent things I do, and I show them a maneuver they're they're having struggling with the wire, they're having having some trouble with it, and they say that that, that that was really so I show them how to do it. He said that was great. I said, yeah, yeah, Doctor Hartzler, my teacher, taught me that in 1986 or 85. <laughs> okay, you know. So that's a very, you know, very it's gratifying. Very gratifying. Yeah, it really, right, really right, is. Right. Yeah. And you're teaching a, a technical skill as well as um, right. the intellectual stuff behind the, you know, the management of those patients. And you can watch that. You get to watch them progress. Which, yeah. And then they get really good, which they is good. phenomenal. Did yeah. they ever get better than you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got the I got, uh, two of them are working with me now that um, uh, Matt Price and Curtis Dennis, they're, they're way better than me. I taught them how to do it, and they're just better. Now you're like, I must kill you. (laughs) No, I'm fine with it. Oh, sorry, have them killed. (laughs) Paul, come on. You're so advanced now. You don't kill people with your own hands. You have to go and hire someone. And it's a whole thing. I know, I know, because I'm with you. What are you talking about? I'm with you. Oh, wait, is this thing on? (laughs) Now, here's just a personal note as we wrap up. You just got a jet airplane license. But not a jet. Not I, d- a jet. I didn't think that was really cost effective. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of, kind of. <laughs> I'm silly. like, what are you doing with my fees? For I just NBPA? wanted the challenge of learning how to fly. Uh, I mean, I've been so we're talking about learning and teaching. So if you if you are out of school, you forget how hard it is to be in school. You for, learning is that's a really tough tough position, and it's easy to forget what it was like having um, to take these 
really hard tests, have being evaluated all the time, and actually also being on you know the learning curve where you don't know anything. Mm. So for me, aviation, which I just started about seven years ago, has been a great way to kind of have empathy for my my fellows uh, because you get into that position where you are, are the low person. You don't know much. And it's really important that you learn this stuff. Yeah. So to me, that was a way to kind of ratchet it up a, a notch was to learn how to fly a jet, which is hard. Yeah, Much wow. harder than I thought. A jet. So relative to like a Cessna or something, it's yeah, a different game. Much harder because I, I thought it would be harder to handle the plane. Very easy. That it's Taking off and landing is the easiest part. Um, the, the hard part is there are Literally for the little jet that I learned, it's called a Citation Mustang, there are 200 memory items. Um, like, you know, what temperature does fuel freeze at? Because uh, you're up there, it's important. Um, the, you know, there's all the weight limitations of the aircraft. Then there's the checklist. There are a couple hundred checklists. And 20 of them you have to memorize because you, you, you can't, like, look it up because, you know, you depressurization at 40,000 feet. You've got to just go. You have to know exactly what to do. And so it's, 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 it's the mental stuff that is, makes it hard, not, not flying the plane. It's really, the, it's really all the knowledge uh, that you have to learn. Has that informed your medical practice? In, uh, well, it actually relates to, to maintenance and certification in a way because people always say, well, your, our pilots have to mm. uh, go through uh, recurrent training, so why won't our doctors? And I think that's an is- a reasonable initial assessment until you find out what the doctors, what the pilots do. Right. And then you realize that it would be great to do this in medicine, but it's never gonna really happen uh, because it's gonna be, it would be just too expensive, uh, but it would be great. So if you're a general aircraft aviation pilot, you fly Cessnas, every two years you have to have a flight review. So you go with an instructor that you pick and you spend a few hours with the instructor talking and then flying. Mm. So if I, if I, if I were able, was able to select uh, from a list of potential doctors in my community, one to spend an afternoon with me as my maintenance of certification. Now that would be great. Yeah, I would. L- I would learn. They'd say, hey, "Why don't you try doing this? Why don't you try it this that way?" And then the the guy certifying me or recertifying me would learn a lot from me too. It would be a cool experience, right? But wow. Th- so that would be a nice way to do it. But you'd have to certi- you'd have to certify the doctors who were going to then to do the, do the training, training yeah. to do the certification, and then it would probably be yeah. academic guys or gals. Yeah. And uh, but, but you have a, to pay them a little something. But it, that would be money well spent. Yeah. That would be money I'd be willing to spend. Correct. What an interesting thing. Maybe we ought to be pushing for that. Well, I've suggested it. It's just mm-hmm. the issue is it's it's a, it's, it's uh, onerous. <laughs> it's hard to pull it together. And then who are the doctors that you know and making sure it's done right and. Uh, who certifies uh, the certifiers? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and that's done in aviation very well. I mean, uh, that's really done well. I mean, right. aviation really has it down. Yeah. Um, that the 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 whole instructor um, to be a certified flight instructor, a certain amount of training, and then you have to get to have have another certified flight instructor review you. And since it's you know life and death stuff like medicine, it's, they take it seriously. It's funny because I was gonna say my instinct was well, well you know but Paul but that's life and death stuff. Of course they have to take it seriously. And then I was like wait a minute. That's what we do. That's what that's we the do. Point. Yes. And in fact right. we probably. Crash a few jumbo jet worth of uh, medical errors, you know, every day. So why not do that? I, I yeah. actually, I think that would be the best yeah. way to do it. And I, and I don't think you get many people uh, objecting to that. And I, I'm going to bet most people would enjoy the process because they come away better for it. Yeah. And I bet the certifiers. The other, would the other too. part that you, we could talk about relating to aviation is simulation. Um, mm. And I have not, honestly, I don't think. I don't think this works so well in medicine because there's just so many different scenarios, um, and it. it I don't, no one. I've never seen anyone get it right. Mm. But in aviation, what happens is the recurrent training for jet pilots. Mm. Most of it is usually done in a simulator, so yeah. that they, the idea is to have failures. Is is you you know you spend you, you do the same thing with a, an examiner. You do it actually every year or sometimes every six months, and you spend a couple of days and. Things that you don't want to have, you can't really simulate in the jet, like loss of pressure. You can't really do that because 
you know, you ruin the jet. You die, yeah. And, <laughs> right. But you can do it in a simulator, uh, and you do that. That's part of that. So that when it, if it should ever happen, it's instinctive instead of having it to be, oh, my God, I've never seen this before. Can I get on curbside.org and, and <laughs> ask somebody? You can't do that. Right. So you We know, do an up-to-date I don't, search. I've thought about how to do that in medicine, and I just don't. I, I, the problem is there's these define, there's very definable failures in the, in the aircraft, uh, discrete, which I, I'm not in medicine. There's so many different scenarios mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. would it's, it's it's a challenge to do. But maybe I, I, we'll get to a point where I think we reduce those number of scenarios by improved processes. But we're never going to get to zero because, like you said in the beginning, this is human beings we're talking about. Yeah. And speaking of human beings, we've right. come up on almost an hour. Wow, that went by. I know. I like I talking say, to you. Let's do some I more. I really enjoy this. Yeah. Like I learned a lot Let's from you. Let's solve all the world's problems. You know what? We'll solve all the things. <laughs> and it all starts with drinks, because this is Vegas. <laughs> and then it ends with more drink. No, I'm kidding. But um, Dr. Paul Tierstein, I want to thank you again for personally as a physician, because you care about other doctors and you care about patients and you care about staff. And that's why you do this. And you spend your energy and your hard-earned time and money yourself to actually actualize this passion of making it a more (laughs) rational process by which we are certified. So I want to thank you for that. The call to action for people who are getting this far into the podcast is go to the links we're going to leave you in nbpas.org and check out the petition, leave your comments on the Vision for the Future report from uh, ABMS, and let them know what you think. Whether you're a doctor or not, all of us are invested in having our physicians be appropriately trained, tested, and non-burned out. Exactly. You are really good at this. I uh, no you. formal training, Paul. So I, I, it's instinctive. I don't know what your parents did to you. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's not so much what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. <laughs> exactly. But you've got it. This has been great. Thank Thanks you. Thanks again, brother. Terrific. And uh, we out. Peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.